Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. What is up, everybody? Welcome into the Masson Web Studio and the Masson All Access Podcast presented by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. Bobby Blanco, Paul Mancano, back with you after a week of crazy baseball in D.C., Paul. We saw some wild numbers, some crazy amount of home runs, and the Nationals end up on their homestand 5-1, and six-game homestand. We talked about it last week. It was going to be quick, come back home, get comfortable, hit back the road. And, um, you know, as far as win-losses and, and power numbers, they could not have asked for a better uh, homestand against uh, some, some quality teams. You know, for homestands, I think it's a time for guys to catch up on sleep a little bit because they're yeah. sleeping in their actual homes. Had an off day in between series. Yeah, uh-huh. I don't think they got too much, especially no. Saturday night. Yeah. Um, I don't think Olivia Witherite, who was running the social media for those games, got much sleep at all. Um Wow, that was a ridiculous game Saturday. Crazy. Uh, they did not give up multiple times. If you ever did, you see somebody tweeted out the win probability uh, chart for that Saturday game. No, I didn't, but I'm sure that was off the charts. A little wild. I think each team had like a bump of like was over fifty percent at four different times of the game. Yeah. Because it was like you know one big lead, then the other, then the and then the ninth inning onwards was just wild yeah. a lot of craziness a lot of craziness we're going to get into it uh the look at the past week and uh, later on we're going to talk and paul did a deep dive into the nationals home run numbers we'll also hear from amy jennings about what's the latest going on massinsports.com but yeah we're going to recap to start uh this past week maybe look ahead to this uh i guess mini road trip they they do hit hit the road again but um it's just for this week and they come right back home mm-hmm. um yeah like we said crazy numbers they scored 14 at least 14 runs in half of their games this past week which is just absurd um that's our night game obviously going back and forth you you kind of want to look back and be like would have could have should have they maybe could have gone six and oh on this road trip i mean excuse me this homestand um but you know you still have to look at the face of it, five and one is still nothing. It's something to be proud of. It's yeah. it's, it's it's a good homestand. You would you wouldn't expect to go six and zero, but the fact that you, that you maybe had the chance kind of lingers. Like also another against a team that is chasing you in the wild card standings. Yeah, it hurts a little bit. I think it stings a little bit, but I think you can take. You'll take if I would have told you at this time last week. Next week when we're yeah. talking about the Nationals, they'll be five and one at home. Take that every day. Well, Todd Dibus, who by the way gives me so much, so much flack, so much flack for having my own commercial. Uh, which, by the way, he is in uh, his own commercial and has done that five times. This whole thing. Yeah. Uh, Todd Dibus tweeted out in the middle of that home run fest on Sunday. Now, can you imagine if the Nats had won on Saturday? Because can you imagine the amount of hype surrounding this team? They might be. You know the hottest hottest storyline in baseball because yeah. of that incredible week that they would have had if they had won that game on Saturday night. So it is tempting to go down that road. But that being said, uh, you look at an extra of what was it? what did it end up being fourteen innings, mm-hmm. one of fourteen inning game that ended up being decided by one run. Um, you know that is that that goes either way. It's a that is a literal coin flip. Yeah. Um. So you don't get that, but the fact that. It almost says more of the fact that they came out and won the game after that because right. of how long that game was and how grueling it was, the fact that they had the lead and they blew it at several different times in that game, the fact that they went 14 innings, it really could have killed them at the end of that game. That could have been an incredibly deflating loss for them, but they came out and had 
and handed the Brewers maybe the most deflating loss of the season for the Brewers. Yeah, um, The fact that they came out and, and absolutely mashed the ball and just blew them out of the building, I think, says a lot to the fact that they don't give up. And there were several times in that game where they did not give up. They kept, they kept coming back. Yep. When it, I, you know, the fact that they, it happened, oh, they're losing the lead in the ninth inning. We'll, we'll touch on Sean Doolittle later. The fact that it, it went from, in a matter of 10 pitches, them having a three-run lead to them being down by one. Yeah. And then they are able to come back in the bottom of the ninth. They don't weren't able to push across the winning run against Josh Hader with the bases loaded. But they, considering you're going up against a, a playoff-caliber team in the Brewers, one of the best bullpens in baseball yeah. uh, in Milwaukee, and the fact that they weren't able to push across a run it's not terrible, but they kept trying and they kept <laughs> they kept pushing this game onwards, and that says a lot. Looking at the box score, like the inning by inning breakdown of the game is is kind of crazy. The the Brewers score five in the third. The Nationals scored then two in the bottom of the half of the inning and three in the next inning, so tied at five five. Yep. Brewers take the lead again, go up eight to five, and then the Nationals score four in the bottom of the sixth, and then two in the bottom of the seventh to take the lead back. Give, of course, Sean Doolittle gives up the four runs in the ninth. I mean, in a in a weekend, in a week that was, everything kind of went the Nationals' way. They got good news on Max Scherzer. He's supposed to return this Thursday against the Pirates in Pittsburgh. Sean Doolittle going on the, D, uh, excuse me, the IL might be the one, also this loss, but the one kind of um, bad spot that the Nationals faced this past weekend. But then, yeah, I mean, like you said, they fought. I mean, they the, the Brewers end up taking the lead in the ninth inning, and the Nationals were able to push one more run across the board. Um, to get into the uh, the 10th. And then, you know, again, Brewers scored in the 13th. Nationals respond in the bottom half of the inning. Brewers scored two. Obviously, they end up game winner, but the Nationals still push one across in the bottom of the 14th, fighting to the very last end. And then on this page right here, the, the title is Instant Classic. So, yeah, well, it's just one of those crazy back-and-forth games. you got to give credit uh, where credit is due. I mean, that like you said, can't, game could have gone either way. Um, you, you wish it would have went the Nationals' way, but overall, looking at this past week, again, 5-1, and one, um, you'll take that every time. And and looking at this box score, when was the last time the winning pitcher and the losing pitcher shared the last name? <laughs> the winning pitcher for the Brewers, Junior Guerrero, and then the Nationals, Javi Guerrero. Javi Guerrero, wow. Lost um, for uh, for the Nationals in, in, uh, on Saturday. But yeah, like we said. That's kind of crazy. Um, so now looking ahead, um, you know, it's great going 5-1, and one, obviously. You have a winning homestand, but I mean, it's over with, it's done with. You got to move on. You have... Uh, four games in Pittsburgh against a, a Pittsburgh Pirates team that is under 500. That Terrible since the All-Star break. You should win this series. I mean, I think anything less than winning three games is kind of a disappointment going into this because then you have a huge three-game series in Chicago against yep. the Cubs who you hold currently a one-and-a-half game lead. I mean, that could be for the top wildcard spot yeah. come Friday afternoon um, in Chicago. Yeah. You just can't lose stupid games at this no. point. Um, and the you just got to win series. I mean, good teams might not sweep every opponent, but they win series consistently. Yeah. And at this point, you look, the, the division lead is still a possibility. There's still enough time for them to catch the Braves if they want to, and they still play them six times before the end of the season. I get that. But at this point, you, you have that top wild card spot. If you just win two out of three, Three out of four, the rest of the way, you'll be totally fine. Yeah, and people talk about that all the time. You know, Dusty Baker, when he was the manager for the Nationals, was just like, you know, win series. Take it series by series. We kind of see the same mentality from Davey Martinez now, like day by day. You know, great. Like, 
this past week was a perfect example. Oh, we lost a heartbreaker. We'll come back the next day and win yeah. it. And they crushed. Um, you mentioned the Braves. You know, we are allowed to scoreboard or scoreboard watch and standings watch because, you know, we're in the media and the teammates, and that's kind of our job. And looking ahead, Paul, I mean, five and a half games back from the Braves, the next time the Nationals face the Braves, I believe, is the beginning of September. Yeah. So right now, the Nationals just need to get to September. Right. Um, and, and do their best to stay within striking distance of the Braves. Because if you look at it, it's also not going to be easy because the Braves themselves have a quite easy schedule. 11 of the Braves' next 14 games are against teams under 500. Mm-hmm. But also on the flip side of the coin, the Nationals also have nine of their next 12 games. That three-game series against the Cubs are the only time they're playing teams above 500. So they both have, quote-unquote, easy schedules coming up. You got Obviously, you can't look too far ahead. you got to take care of your business now. Um, on the road but then once you flip the page or the calendar flips to september starting september 5th the braves have 14 straight games against the nationals and phillies they play back to back to back series um obviously going back and forth between home and away and those that two weeks could determine the national league east right then and there i mean if the braves could put their foot down and, and shut out and you know smother the Nationals and their Phillies and their chances of catching them right then and there. And conversely, both of those teams can also fight back and, and make this race closer as the, down the stretch. Well, you talk about scoreboard watching. I mean, it could come down to the last weekend, last series and last weekend of the season, the Nats play the Indians, who obviously American League. That right. has nothing to do with this, the, the NL East. But right. you have a feeling if, if this is, I mean, if they are three games back, obviously, or two games back, they could be playing that Sunday with everybody's eyes just constantly switching to the scoreboard or looking at their phone, checking the scores. Yeah. Because of that amount of... Uh, there's such high volatility in the month of September, as you mentioned, because of all of those uh, in, interdivisional opponents that these teams are playing, the standings could wildly, drastically change. Who knows? If the Phillies have an unbelievable September with Charlie Manuel waking up all the bats, they could wake you know, go on a run in the month of September and try to overtake one of the teams for the wild card spots, or the, the Nats could go on one of these crazy runs yeah. and, and overtake the Braves. Right now, they are, like you said, Bob, it's just within striking distance. At this point on August 19th, five and a half games out, that is, that is, it's not ideal, it's doable. but it is very doable. Yeah, it's, it's very realistic. And again, you know, we're looking ahead because we can. The Nationals should not be looking ahead because they have nine of the next 12 against inferior opponents that Cubs game the Cubs series excuse me could be a toss-up you know if you lose that series it's not the end end of the world I would say maybe just don't get swept if you can win it great obviously create some separation between you and whatever name that NL Central team behind you in the wild card uh, race but then also you know the Braves the Nationals could get help I mean they they can help themselves because like you said they play the the Braves seven more times um, before the end of the season, and they also play the Phillies. But then they right after that, the last stretch of Nats and Phillies games, they play the Giants. And the yeah. Giants are a team that, you know, they're around 500. They could still technically be in that wild card hunt by that time, so they'll be fighting for something. And then they play at the Royals, so that's the only team in the month of September, um, starting June, sorry, September 5th, that's under 500. They'll play, and then they finish the regular season in New York against the Mets. So like you said, that last weekend when the Nationals are playing the Indians at home, the Braves will be in New York facing a Mets team that is good, that is playing well. Uh, they might not be in at that time, but that doesn't mean they couldn't be, you know, yeah. trying to play spoiler exactly. and, and ruin the, the regular season for the Braves. Exactly. So any any time that the, you know, if, if the Nats win a game, they could have a chance to 
pick up a game in the the NL East because of the uh, opponent that the Braves are going to be playing. I don't want to look ahead too much, but the, it's kind of fun to look ahead. <laughs> it is, yeah. But the the real tr- you talk about a trap game in the NFL. Yeah, you know, there's like ah, oh, this team is you know we're gonna you, they worry about teams that are good overlooking bad teams yeah. because of how well they've been playing. Talk about a trap week. Orioles on the 27th, 28th to wrap up the Battle of the Beltways. And then the Marlins that weekend and the last weekend of August. That Talk about a trap week. Because yeah. remember the, the, um, the first two games of the Battle of the Beltways up in Baltimore, the Nats won handily the first game and then just laid an egg in that second game. Yeah. And the pitching wasn't there and they ended up getting blown out. And they've, they've handled the Marlins so far this season, which you can, can't say about the Phillies. But they they got it. They have to handle them again. Yeah. I mean, you can't look past that stretch of five games right there because it is te- going to be tempting because you have the Mets, the Braves, and then the Twins, and then the Braves again, and then the Cardinals. Like that is such a daunting first two three weeks of September. Yeah, you just can't look past. You just it would probably be a disappointment if you split those two games with the Orioles. Yeah. it would be a disappointment if you know you you can win two out of three to the Marlins with the Marlins, but probably should win three yeah you know yeah. so you you just can't let that be a trap that's a week. five that's a five game stretch where you're hopefully winning four yeah and and sweeping one of those two teams yeah and the good thing is they're both at home the nationals have been playing so well at home as of late they're 10 games above 500 on the season at home they're like one game above 500 on the road so they're a different team which is kind of weird because i believe they were probably they, they felt like kind of uh, road warriors early in the season they played like first half they were playing much better on the road than at home but yeah. they've right that course they're playing much better at home now so i guess the saving grace on that trap week would be that they're at home you know you finish this road trip ideally like i said maybe split the pirates at worst so hopefully you're winning three there you know let's just give the cubs a home field advantage so they win two out of three so out of these seven games you're coming home with Hopefully four wins, right? Um, uh, three at the at worst, and then you come home and you win five at home, and and put some real pressure on those Braves because again they also have an easy schedule coming up. They have um, a weird makeup game on like a Monday. Uh, now they are on the road a lot more often. Now they're one of the best teams on the road, I believe, in the in, in all of baseball. But after this quick home series against the Marlins, they go to New York to place the Mets. They have a they have this crazy makeup game on a Monday in Colorado. <laughs> and then they fly back to Toronto to play two games against the Blue Jays before coming home. So, you know, you hopefully cross your fingers and and the kind of hope that with all this traveling, this wacky schedule that the Braves have upcoming, maybe they falter a little bit this weekend while going into next week while the Nationals kind of thrive and pick right. up some games. Again, five and a half games, not the end of the world. If you can cut it to like three, three and a half by the time you're facing the Braves again that first week in September, you know, those games are huge and, and could flip the, the standings in the National League East. And again, the topic I touched on last week, that NL Central race is going to probably have a big factor over the, the wild card. Yeah. Because there are three teams in that the top of that division that have a chance to be playoff teams. And as they battle each other, now we you know we'll keep our eyes on the Braves and the Nats, obviously, but as as those NL Central teams battle each other in the month of September, that's gonna weigh heavily on where the Nats fall in terms of the wild card right. standings because they just, you know, took care of business against the Brewers, but Brewers are still only two games out of that wild card spot. And the, the Car- Cardinals and the Cubs are at the top of that 
NL Central. So yeah. if one of those teams gets scorching hot, takes the division, or if, if two of them get, get really hot right down the stretch, maybe the Cubs could, you know, or overtake the Nationals for that top wild card spot. And then, you know, if we're all, the Nats end up, don't have, end up taking the division and they have to look at one of the two wild card spots, then you start looking at home field advantage for that game. Right. And how important is that going to be? But yeah. the, the winning the division with the current setup in baseball can not be overstated. The yeah. importance of it cannot be overstated because it is literally, you have a, a if you are playing in that wild card spot, you only have a 50% chance. Right. And anything getting, can happen. Yeah, exactly. Of getting to that spot. And we talked about ideal opponents that you would face off in a, in a wild card game. But honestly, you could throw Max Scherzer out there and he could have all of a sudden the worst start of his career and you're down 4 nothing in the first inning and you got to make up that. Anything can happen in those games. Yeah. It's, a, it's a game five, a game seven, and you just don't want to be in that situation. You don't want to have to put yourself in that situation to think to say nothing of the fact that even if you do win that game, you got to look next at the game one against the Dodgers right. and say, well, we just threw Max Scherzer in there for 100 pitches, and what do we do in game one? And maybe Steven Strasburg had to come in, and you know, what if that was an 11-inning game? There are all kinds of factors. So the importance of winning the division cannot be overstated. Right, and, and I think I don't mean to undersell how difficult the rest of the way it's going to be for the Nationals because, yeah. I mean, yes – they have some some quote unquote easy opponents coming up in the Pirates, and then of course the Orioles and Marlins. But after that, I believe they only play the Marlins three more times in yeah. September. All the other games are against teams above five hundred. Yeah, and and you, Twins, Cardinals, those are teams. Indians, those are teams that are going to be in the hunt when you come. Like like you mentioned, the NL Central, they're done with the Brewers, but they still have to face the Cardinals and Cubs on the road. Well, and and in the next couple of weeks, and another division matchup, they face two teams in the AL Central. Two teams that are battling each other yeah, that for the, the top, top spot in that division. That might be the, one of the toughest division, closest division races outside of the NL Central. Because the, the Indians have been the hottest team in baseball over the past couple months. Mm -hmm. The Twins are fighting desperately to hold on to that lead. holding on, yeah. Yeah, so that is, I mean, you talk about two teams that are desperate at this point. Yeah. So there are no easy opponents. And then don't forget the five, the crazy five-game five series against the Phillies. Yeah. I mean, that's just going to be, it's exciting. It's exciting. And we've talked about it at length, and I think we talk about it so much because we like talking about it, and it's exciting. Again, the Nationals have never been been in the situation before where they are fighting to the last out of every game of the season to try and get into the yeah. playoffs every year that's either won or been eliminated you know halfway through september and this is going to go down to the yeah. wire and uh obviously their situation is not perfect they're not in the division lead but it does feel if they were in that second wild card spot i would be you know that then you would really worry about looking over your shoulder. Yeah. The fact that they at least have the uh, game and a half lead over the Cubs in that for that first wild card spot gives you a little bit of breathing room. Just just the smallest amount makes you feel just a little bit better to say if the season ended today they would still have a wild card spot. Yeah, yeah, and it's gonna be crazy. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Obviously, stick around with Masson's coverage throughout August and September. Hopefully into October playing baseball. Um, we talked about the crazy week that was and all the crazy numbers. Paul, you went a deep dive into the Nationals' home run numbers and their statistics, and not just how many they're hitting, but when they're hitting them. So we're gonna get into that conversation real quick when we get back. But first, here's a message from Amy Jennings. 
Hey everyone, Amy Jennings here with the Mass and All Access podcast. After today's episode is over, head over to MassInSports.com for even more Nationals coverage. Byron Kerr's talking about Victor Robles' quickly improving defensive game, and Mark Zuckerman tells Nats fans to sit back, relax, and just enjoy the ride. All of that and more at MassInSports.com. Back on the Mass and All Access podcast brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountStates.com to learn more about our student-athletes and programs today. Thank you, Amy Jennings, for that update on MassInSports.com. Bobby Blanco, Paul Mancano, back with you. All right, Paul, you uh, did some deep diving into some Nationals home run numbers over the weekend. Obviously, some big and crucial home runs hit um, in Saturday night's game. Obviously, the blowout on Sunday what did you find when you were looking at these numbers? Well, it got me thinking because do you remember back in January, you and I did worked on a piece together called Power Outage? Yes. And it happened to do with uh, the fact that if Bryce Harper was going to leave, how many home runs would the Nats still be able to hit? And would they struggle to hit home runs in the absence of a guy who hit 18% of their home runs in 2018? So I went back and I looked up because in that piece – I gave some predictions, some projections for how many home runs guys would hit. And I looked at how many home runs a lot of those guys are on pace for and how they're doing in terms of home runs. So in terms of individual stats, and I'll get to the mind-boggling team stats, but in terms of the individuals for right now, Juan Soto currently leads the Nats with 28 home runs. That's already a career high. He had 22 last year. And he has four fewer games, I believe, at this point this year. Dude has turned into a legitimate power threat. Kid's a stud. Absolute stud. Rendon, he's got a career high. Yeah. 27 home runs. He's on pace for 36. Soto's on pace for 37. Matt Adams has been maybe one of the more underrated pieces on the Nats over the past two years with the fact that he has been able to step up in the absence of Ryan Zimmerman and just crush homers on a, on a regular basis. He's got 19 homers on pace for 25, which would break his career high. Keep in mind, he was never a huge power guy coming over to the Nats. He was always kind of a bench guy. His career high is 21 homers for a season. That's surprising. Yeah, and the uh, mammoth power shots that we've seen from him this year make it look like he's been hitting dingers that long for his entire career. Mm. Um, And then beyond that, they've just gotten contributions down the line. I mean, uh, Dozier is who coming off a terrible 2018 season in which he spent the second half with the Dodgers, said there were injuries nagging. The start of this season, we were saying, all right, are those injuries still nagging, or is he in a a little bit of a decline? The average isn't quite there, but they they paid him to hit homers, Mm -hmm. and that's what he's doing so far. So Dozier has 19, also on pace for 25, as uh, is Matt Adams. Um, And then Victor Robles, who... There were maybe the biggest concerns about him as a prospect were his exit velo and the fact that he has a solid 16 homers on pace for 21. It seems like, you know, that is not a huge number anymore. But to get that from a guy who is uh, really a true rookie is um, pretty impressive. Um, So the the fact that they have gotten it, and in my piece I projected that you would get 22 from Victor Robles, he's on pace for 21. And you get 24 homers from Brian Dozier, and he's on pace for 25. Yeah. I just want to toot my own horn yeah. and say, great job. No, but I mean, it, it, it also shows that, you know, the, the front office banked on these guys just doing, putting up, um, you know, the, they banked on the veterans, putting up the consistent numbers that they have over the course of their careers, and they've done that. And then they banked on the young guys stepping it up and 
doing this natural progression, and they've done that as well. Yeah, we talked about, I think, that was part of the storyline throughout all of 2018 in terms of the Bryce Harper looming free agency. It's like the Juan Soto emergence really made it that much easier, I think, and I think you might agree, for the Nationals to let him walk. Definitely. I mean, you 100%. know, we know that they did their due diligence in trying to bring him back and that, you know, 10-year, $300 million contract offer that they gave him before the end of the season, whatever. They did their due diligence, but they also had in mind Mike Rizzo and ownership. You know, look at this kid, Juan Soto, who's hit, what did he hit last year? 22? 22, 22 yeah. home runs. And then Victor Robles looming in, in the wing. He got hurt last year, so he kind of had a setback. Don't forget, because Victor Robles got hurt is why we saw Juan Soto. Sure. Um, and, yeah, with the power numbers, you know, with the 22 home runs from a 19-year-old, they were like, this guy could be a power hitter. And I think with Victor Robles, he's, you know, this Dan Coco's favorite uh, term, sneaky pop. I yeah. mean, he is the guy that who was supposed to be like your typical center fielder, has speed, uh, can play great defense, can steal bases, maybe a, a typical leadoff guy or a guy you can bat ninth or eighth to kind of flip the order. But if he's going to crush 16, around 20 homers a season, that's... That's yeah. you'll take that every single time from a guy who's you know compared to Juan Soto kind of small um, and 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 is not known for his power. And in a season where we're seeing guys explode in terms of homers, we're seeing Christian Yelich and Cody Bellinger on their way to hit fifty homers or yeah. maybe even more than that. And we're seeing all these guys around baseball set career records for home runs. Yeah. You don't have anybody in this lineup that is a, a by the numbers power hitter. You know. Rendon is hitting a lot, and Soto are hitting a lot, and Matt Adams is is hitting a lot with his decreased plate appearances, considering he has not played every day. But beyond that, you don't have somebody that's just like he's in there just to hit home runs, right? You know, uh, and the fact that they are so they are 16th in in home runs in, in, around baseball mm-hmm. in terms of total homers, so that's right in the middle of the pack. However, it is when you hit the homers that matters just as much as how many home runs you hit. So they have 29 home runs in late-slash-close games. Now, the definition of that, essentially, I think is like the seventh inning or later within a a matter of two runs or fewer. Okay. Um, So the important times, clutch, uh, the idea of it is. That is first in baseball, the most in baseball, 29. To that point, they have... The most or third most home runs in the eighth inning, thanks in part to guys like Victor Robles, guys yeah. like Juan Soto, who have kept this team afloat in the late innings of games and in the last few outs of games. And as bad as the bullpen has been, especially in that eighth inning, that has kept them in games mm-hmm. and allowed that that kind of to be masked a little bit. Some more mind-boggling stats. They have 21 homers out of the seventh, the seven hole in uh, their lineup. Huh. So That's you typically probably sec- like Kurt Suzuki or Dozier, right? Yep, yeah. So typically like your catchers. Catcher and or- one of the big things that they added to this year, not just the defense of a Kurt Suzuki and a Jan Gomes, but the fact that they brought actual pop to the... Well, I mean, they had only one place to go, which was up, yeah, considered yeah, from where they were last year at the catcher spot, or the past couple of years. True, because of how bad Matt Weeders had been right. in that spot. And they signed two guys who historically for catchers, have hit a, a decent amount of home runs. So Kurt Suzuki is already up to 13. He's on pace for 17. It's pretty good. And Jan Gomes already has six on pace for eight. 
uh, his career average for like a year is like 11, and Suzuki's career average is like seven. So you just got between those two guys out of the catcher spot like 15 homers, which, you know, maybe pace for maybe 25. For, would be 25. So that is already um, a massive, massive improvement. Right. Um, and so the fact that you're getting that now out of your seven hole is huge. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the key part too. Is that it's make there's no quote unquote weak spot in this lineup. Obviously, some guys are better hitters or more of a threat than others. Right. But the fact that the seven hole has hit what the third most out of uh, eighth most in the baseball, they have the eighth, eighth most, most yeah. out of seven hole spot. I mean, that's impressive in terms that you know there are no breaks for the yeah. opposing pitcher. You know, if you you get through. Turner, Eaton, Soto, Rendon, uh, Adams. That's great. But then you also, now you have to go against Dozier, Suzuki, slash Gomes, and Robles yep. uh, at the bottom put slash pitcher. And the pitchers have raked too. Yeah. Um, that's, that's you know, they're not hitting homers like crazy, but they're, they've, they're hitting well. Yeah. Uh, so it's there's no soft spots in this lineup in the traditional sense of like, yeah, you can get through this bottom half. And that's what's keeping this team afloat. We keep saying afloat. This is a team that's in first place in the yeah, wild card, yeah, so yeah. it's not really a float, but this is a team that's propelling. This it's yeah. propelling them to wins, and it's it's covering up some of their issues and right. Some of their- and and that, that's the thing too, you know that stat about them hitting uh, late in the games and in, in late close games, twenty nine home runs, most in the major leagues. They've needed that yeah. because of the bullpen. Yeah, and how bad the bullpen has been. They needed to either increase their lead late in the game or diminish it because they're they don't know. And for the longest time this whole season, they haven't known if they could count on their bullpen to get the, the necessary outs to win games. So the offense has really needed to come up in big moments late in games. Several more stats that speak to the clutch nature of their home runs. They have 68 homers with two outs. That's the third most in baseball. That is more than they're hitting with no outs. That is more than they're hitting with one out. Getting homers with two outs is massively, massively important. Yeah. Um, 79 of their 177 homers have come with men on base. That's ninth most in baseball. And 54 have come with runners in scoring position. Now, that obviously, they're going to score whether they're in <laughs> scoring position or not on a home right, run. Right. But the fact that they are driving these guys in is absolutely yeah, massive. Yeah. That is second most in baseball. They've hit 54 with runners in scoring position. Yeah, and I feel like we had this conversation at some point last year, and I don't remember if this was either on the national side or maybe our Orioles side of the podcast, but it, it, someone was like doing really well, like hitting home runs, but always no one on base. Yep. Like, And it's just like, that's great. Home, you know, home runs obviously automatic scoring, but you know you would like someone to be on base in front of them so you get those two, yep. three run home runs and score them in bunches. Well, I think Adam Eaton was one of the biggest culprits, and he did bat. You know, he still bats near the top of the lineup, and he did bat. He was batting leadoff for quite a while, um, but he was hitting just solo homers, and it was yeah. like that doesn't that doesn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, especially in games you know you need to keep up pace or you need yep. to extend leads. Uh, one more stat I do want to throw at you. They have 23 home runs against the Phillies. That is more than any other team has uh, against, the, against any other team for them. And Atlanta is the only other team with more home runs against the Phillies. Phillies pitching staff kind of struggling in the division. Struggling huh? to give up that long ball. Yeah. Part of it might be Citizens Bank Park. But um, they are they are when it's just as much as important as how many total. And they are hitting the dingers at the right time. Yeah, and that's that's coming up clutch for them. And, and back to the the Adam, I mean, excuse me, the Matt Adams conversation. You know, I remember last week when we did a coffee and comments with Mark Zuckerman. You know, I think some he got a question about you know timetable for Ryan Zimmerman. Also, another good news that the Nationals got over the weekend. He's starting a rehab assignment coming up, so that's good news. 
Um, but you know, it's like this, he's like, you know, sick. The numbers speak for themselves. He's not having a great year. He hasn't played that much either, but this lineup is, this team is better with Ryan Zimmerman in that clubhouse, in that dugout, because it expands their bench. You know, whether he starts or on the bench, teams don't want to face a Ryan Zimmerman as a pinch hitter in a close game in the eighth inning. You know, it's like, yes, he struggled, but he's still always a threat to hit a long ball. I mean, he's Mr. Walkoff for a reason. He comes up clutch in big moments, um, especially when he's healthy. So adding that one more piece, you know, with the lack of home runs, fine, but it still adds a threat of power into either the bench or the starting lineup. You know, and if he's starting, that means Matt Adams is the guy getting a pinch hit in the eighth inning, and that's a guy no one wants to face. A power lefty late in the game, no, and National Spark too. No, thank you. So it's just another guy that's along his way coming up that could add to these home run numbers down the stretch. And it's like what we talked about with a bullpen. A healthy Ryan Zimmerman, all it does is push off the last guy in the bench. All right. it does is replace the bottom guy with somebody who has the potential at least to be a whole lot better and more clutch. So right. those are the uh, home run numbers for you. Good Bobby. stuff. Good stuff, Paul. Look, uh, fascinating dive into those numbers. Well, we want to thank you guys for tuning into the mass on all access podcast. Hopefully you were watching on mass nationals, Facebook page or the mass on all access Facebook page. You can also check out mass nationals on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. You can follow me at Bobby underscore Blanco, Paul, Paul Mancano. Be sure to subscribe to the Mass on All Access podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and SoundCloud. And don't forget, the Mass on All Access podcast is brought to you by Marymount University. Visit marymountsaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today.